Don't call it a comeback. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like Pete did. Hey, what up, girl? my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. The little chick she could do in one of those big envelopes and not a box. Because those. <laughs> This is the press box. Those big envelopes, you know, you can fit a lot in those big envelopes, like the puffy ones, and then they can expand. You throw a few chicks in there, they'd be okay, probably. With Grady and Bischoff. Stop trying to save money shipping your chickens head. <laughs> On ESPN Las Vegas. Sometimes you hear the intros, and I have no idea what I was talking about. We could probably do that on a daily basis. Do you remember that? We Why was I shipping to, we chickens were in the, to Cassie in the about her her? family's chickens her mother's chickens i don't know know why we were shipping them but we were mailing them to somebody i was stuffing them in envelopes because they are one of the few things you can ship through the u.s post oh okay we'll we'll get to her at 9 30 live animals and for some reason you were trying to find the cheapest envelope (laughs) to stuff these baby chickens in would you like to meet my wife, Bonnie? Here we are on a Thursday, <laughs> Friday, Friday. So this is it. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. It said Tyler and Jared. Oh, look who won last night. The first bite. Don't sound too sad. How much credit does Pete DeBoer deserve for upsetting Colorado? Underdogs. Let's just put this out there. The only good thing is actually right now today I won't be on a plane with no pilot. So it's actually a good Would day. Would you be sitting on the runway? At <laughs> with the, I'd be talking right to you. Like, well, I'd, I'd have plenty of time to talk to you because there'd be no pilot. He will have been at landing in the B terminal. Um, I think Pete DeBoer deserves a lot of credit. I think you know they found some way to shut down that top line. And look at this level. You know, with pro coaches, you never know. It's always like, is are you more of a motivator? Are you more of a schematic guy? Like, does it really matter at this level? They're all professionals. They're all these great players. So how much does it matter? But I think it does matter. I think the other thing that, that um, at least outwardly, is he didn't panic down 2-0. Like, at least to us, he didn't. Who knows what goes on behind the scenes? But they didn't panic down 2-0, and I think that comes from the top. So... I'll give him a ton of credit for this series. You think he leaves the press conference down 2-0, just immediately yes. throwing things? Yes. yes. <laughs> Guy to the media, we are fine. We're going to be fine. Like like two minutes later, he's chucking things against That's the wall great. in the back. No, I don't think he's like that. He seems no. – I think he did a really good job, and they're on, and Montreal you know, comes in Monday night, and I thought Pete DeBoer deserves a ton of credit. Two areas in this game – or in this series. Number one, defensively. We've known that the Golden Knights have been a good defensive team – their entire existence. They've been a good defensive team, but this year they were really good as a defensive team. They didn't allow many shots. They didn't allow many chances and they allowed the fewest goals in the NHL. A lot of that was built up because they played bad teams, but they were good defensively. And in this series to compare Colorado's regular season numbers against their playoff number or the series numbers, regular season at five on five, the avalanche averaged 64 shots per 60 minutes played. Against the Golden Knights, that was down to 55. Their scoring chances were 60 in the regular season per 60 minutes, 43 per 60 minutes in this series against the Golden Knights. And their goals at five on five per 60 was three in the regular season, 2.3 
in this series. Like they were basically a goal better than what Colorado put up during the regular season. They were phenomenal defensively. And a lot of that has to do with the, the line matching, uh, getting Mark Stone out there as much as possible about Nathan McKinnon. But it goes beyond that because the last two games, the third line, once Matthias Janmark came back, they were dominant in their matchup. The fourth line was solid in their matchup as well. Like, they were really good defensively for this outside of game one for this entire series. And a lot of that goes back to Pete DeBoer. And I think he deserves a ton of credit for be, finding yeah, a way to stop Nathan McKinnon and the rest yeah. of that high power team. Now you somehow insinuated there that matchups matter. They do. Uh, don't listen to Pete, Pete DeBoer. Pete, don't listen they to the do. guy who deserves all the credit for winning the series. Cause I, we don't really care about matchups. No, you kind of do. I need to go. I, so in the three games that were in Vegas, Mark stone played against Nathan McKinnon over 10 minutes in all three of them in the three games that were in Colorado. I don't think he eclipsed five minutes against Nathan McKinnon in any of, in any of them. Right. So matchups very clearly mattered well, when the Golden Knights had the opportunity at home to get the last change. Mark stone played all the time against McKinnon. It mattered to Bednar because at some point last night, we believed McKinnon was going to play 47 minutes because <laughs> that guy was just out there. And, and you know, you got to just say they did an incredible job on that line. And again, I, we, we've talked about this whole series. They, they went out of their way. It's not that it's untrue that he's one of the best top two or three players in the world. It's not it's untrue that they arguably, along with Boston, uh, might have the best line in, in, in the world. That's, that's all stuff true, but they really – you know they really painted that narrative for everybody, and that's fine. Oh, yeah. You do what you do. you get like you do what you got to do to motivate yourself or get your through a long series and and you know come to understand like what you're up against. But they really painted that narrative, and what anyone shouldn't walk away with is, you know, oh, it was a down series for Colorado. Colorado, I think to you and I are is still as good as everyone thought. It's just the Knights outplayed them. I mean, yeah. it's not, uh, suddenly you know the narrative better not be well was Colorado overrated. No, they're really really good. And that's why I think Pete DeBoer deserves a ton of credit. His team played better. They were better over six games. It's not that Colorado lost anything. He figured out a way to slow them down. The only way we're saying Colorado is overrated is if the Golden Knights go get swept by Montreal. And then we're looking back saying, all right, the West was that bad this year that these two teams just beat them up. But yeah, if Colorado goes on to win the Stanley Cup, we might, or if Vegas goes on to win the Stanley Cup, we might look back and say, well, even though Minnesota went seven, that Colorado series was still the most difficult right, series. Right. And best that team was, they play. Yeah. And we might look back and say that was the Stanley cup final in round two. Like that might end up being the biggest series that they win in this playoffs. Even if they win the whole thing, one other factor on Pete DeBoer. And I'm curious how much credit you think he should get for this. But in the first two games of this series, the golden Knights were called for 13 different minor penalties. They had two 10 minute misconducts in there as well in game one. Cause that got a little out of hand, but just the minor penalties. They were called for 13 minor hard. penalties in the first two games. Pete DeBoer then after that came out, they lost the second game in overtime, the slashing call on Riley Smith, and Pete DeBoer said, just a soft call, but I can't even blame the refs. They're fighting through the embellishment of mm -hmm. grabbing your face or falling down or dropping your stick every period. I can't even blame the ref. They fool them on it. Before that quote, 13 minor penalties in two games. After that quote, the Golden Knights were called for seven minor penalties in four games, mm -hmm. and four of those well, were delay of games where the yeah. Golden Knights shot it over the glass in their own zone. I actually want to maybe check in with Todd Dewey this morning. I'll do it off air to check out the odds on which Golden Knight will first be called for <laughs> chucking the puck over the over the glass for delay of games because they've I think on they had five of them in this series. I I don't know what they're doing. It's very bizarre. Shea Theodore might have thirty himself this year. I don't know. But to your point. 
it was two two great things by DeBoer there. One, we said it when it happened. The guy pretty much took shots at everyone and was not fined. That right. takes a little genius. Too. Because, I'm going to get my point across to the refs here, but unlike the Boston nut job, you're not fining me $25,000. Uh, so, and, and we said it at the time, good for Pete DeBoer. I say anything I can to, if you're down 2-0, you say whatever in your mind you think you think you can get into their heads to where not as many penalties are called on your side. So good for him. I mean, he not only didn't get fined, but now whether it was in the ref's mind, the rest series, I don't know. But the numbers are what you said they are. So you can, I think, translate into that or believe that, hey, he put some some message out there in these officials' minds that, you know what, maybe that wasn't a slash. Maybe he just dropped the stick there. We're not going to call it. We're going to keep <laughs> playing on. You know, maybe that happened. And. So good for Pete DeBoer. I mean, you say you're down 2-0. I don't even think down 2-0 he would have cared if he was fined 25 no, grand if it made a difference. Who either. cares? I mean, yeah. so, yeah, I thought that was a, a great move by him as well to at least at least put out the message that we think they're getting away with a lot of stuff. You're calling all this stuff on our team. You need to stop it. And like I said, you just gave the numbers. today. Those calls weren't made the rest of the way. So. The Golden Knights deserve, as a team, deserve credit for taking advantage of that. Whether sure. Pete DeBoer deserves credit for getting fewer calls or or what, I, I don't know how much credit that should be assigned to Pete DeBoer's comment there. But two areas the Golden Knights deserve credit. Number one, they didn't take obvious penalties aside from shooting it over the glass. They didn't take obvious penalties. There weren't many times where they were just holding a guy away from right. the puck or just tripped a guy in open eye. So. The, the referees were going to call like blatantly obvious penalties over the last four games of the series. And the golden Knights didn't take many blatantly obvious penalties. I'm sure there were plenty of missed calls throughout the game that were, you know, On both sides. Yeah. yeah. But they didn't take any obvious ones. So the golden Knights deserve credit for that. But then also they dominated five on five. Like it's one thing to make sure the referees don't call penalties and you never have to kill off a penalty. Like that's, that's great. But then you can still lose because you're not as good at five on five. And the Golden Knights dominated at five on five for the last four games of this series. Honestly, the last five games of the series, they dominated at five on five. And so if like, again, how much did Pete DeBoer put into this? I don't know. But if the general thought for him was if we can just play five on five, we'll win this series. He was absolutely right. Because once they stopped taking penalties, once Colorado stopped getting multiple power plays a game, they won the series. They won the series. They're the better team. Dominated shots yeah. and chances over the course of the series. So, again, I don't know how much DeBoer actually thought, okay, I'm going to criticize them for embellishing and we're going to stop getting called for so many penalties uh, and this I mean, is going to work. I think he hoped. I don't know. Yeah, right. I'm sure he's done it in the past. He's been around a long time. I'm sure at some point he said, you know what? I'll float this out there. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Right. I mean, you know, you got to put it out there down 2-0. And it's a stark contrast between games one and two and the rest of the series, yeah. how much the referees called and how much Colorado got to take advantage of having the best power play in hockey. So DeBoer deserves some credit for that, whether it was extremely intentional or or whether it was just sort of happened by accident. He absolutely deserves credit for that because that, that listen, if they keep calling the penalties like they did to the first two games, if the Avalanche have four, five power play, I mean, now, they had they had six, they had 20 minutes of power play time in the first two games of the series 20 minutes and that like that's ridiculous if that had continued oh with their skill yeah if they had 10 minutes of power play time in every game yeah the Golden Knights are probably home in like right. five yeah. like this the series is it, they're not playing Montreal no. on Monday so that changed the series whether it was the referees actually thinking it or not but the change in the way the game was called after two games changed the series speaking of which uh minus 450 to open the series oh that's a huge favorite. Well, I mean, after game one against the Avalanche, it was minus $7. 
<laughs> been been good to get, uh, lay some money down on the Knights after that game one on the money line for the series, but uh, it's a big it's a big favorite. But you mentioned it before we don't I, like which way to bet it. I think obviously the Knights are, should be favored, but we said this all year. They haven't played each other. Like Montreal beat them twice last year. I know. I, I mean, who knows who's going to win this? That's the thing. I mean, yes, the Knights should be favored. They're probably a better team. But this goes back to the weirdness of this season, where you've never seen these people match up. What's the number? There've been uh, how many playoffs? There've been twelve playoff series, and I think nine of the worst seeds have won the playoff series. Oh, in in these playoffs? Yeah, in these okay. playoffs. I think it's I think it's like yeah, only, so only three of the higher seeds right. have won a playoff round through yeah. two through two rounds. I almost again, I almost uh, we, you know the odds here. I I know they should be favored, but when I saw that number, I'm like, that's a really big number to put out there when you haven't seen these teams play. And for a dumb sport like hockey, where when you just know, you don't yeah. know what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> also, aren't they heading up to an empty arena? Uh, twenty five hundred, I think. I think they're two thousand. They've added like five to seven hundred people. I was told last night. So I don't even know if they're three. Canada finally yet. got their shipment of vaccines. <laughs> I, uh, I I told last night that they added, but they're. I don't think they're three thousand. I mean, it's not going to be much, but no. I think you have to if you're betting on it. You have to bet on Montreal. Oh, you, to it, win yeah, the series. at least to Just, start and then see. I mean, because Vegas is minus four fifty, Montreal is what plus three fifty yeah. or three eighty or something. Yeah, like you that. take that like, hedge, right hedge. Now. Yeah. Like that's it's just it's an absurd number. Now, granted, Montreal wasn't very good this year. Nobody yeah. thought they were going to actually win two playoff rounds. We thought they were going to win one playoff round. They won seven in a row and haven't trailed. I I don't know what I to don't do know. with that. I don't know what that means. I my, like my full expectation is they lose to Montreal just because we've seen this in the past. Like they got through Colorado. Everybody's like, oh, this is Vegas's right. time. They did it. They got through well, the great Colorado and. Oh, you lost to Montreal. That's... They were they were they were favored in every game last year against Dallas and lost in five. Yeah, even when they're down three one, they were favored like it was minus one forty. But they were favored. They like were no one ever expected. Well, they were better, Dallas. but no one ever expected that to happen. And no one like the odds wouldn't shift. Like no, they're a better team, and they end up losing in five. Do the Canadians have a goalie with a magnetic chest where all they will do is shoot directly into it? No, they don't have the vaccine no. in Canada. All right, no. coming up next. The Bucs finally got one against the Nets, but God, that was an ugly basketball game. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. Alta Holiday, no timeout, 15 seconds to play. The Bucs will play for one. Holiday to the rim, scores! It's interesting that we, we lose a game because of our offense, but... uh. You know, it was just a tough game. We just didn't, couldn't find our rhythm. Um, you know, a, a great opportunity for us to learn and grow from this. And uh, the defense was solid, though, but we got to clean it up both ends of the floor, but particularly offense tonight. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. So the Milwaukee Bucks finally won a game against the Nets. They won last night. Uh, what an ugly game. 86 to 83. I don't know how the Nets played a game where they didn't break 90 points. Um, it was their second worst game by points per possession of the season. The only time they were worse than that was a game that Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving all were out. Um, but very important, Jared, is this a series yet? It, it, it wouldn't be, would it? <laughs> Home team hasn't lost. Yeah. It's not a series. <laughs> Darn it. I'm not, it's not a series yet. 
Sorry, so, I, you you like I'm elated that the Bucks actually like won a game. So you like you you even asking me a question right now that isn't just me wooing. It's not a series yet. Um, so the most important part of this is that the Nets couldn't score. Like to hold that team, even without James Harden, hold that team to such a bad offensive day. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving combined to shoot 20 of 50 from the floor. Like even Joe Harris, who's like one of the best shooters, like couldn't hit a shot. So it's likely more of an anomaly than anything else, which is probably a bigger problem for the Bucks because you're not holding the Nets under 90 probably ever again. Probably not through three quarters in the rest of the series. No. I mean, it's, I was, obviously I was at VGK last night trying to pay attention uh, to everything else going on. And you're exactly right. I mean, they needed what Middleton at the end there um, was it Middleton who, yeah. who uh, and um, who hit the, the go ahead? Yeah, it was Middleton, wasn't it? Or am I wrong in that? Not that as Middleton or Drew Holiday. Holiday. Drew Holiday. Oh, Drew Holiday. Right. Yeah. yeah. But you know, you need that at the end just Hold to get past number. them at your own place after they like torched you two in a row. I don't think I don't think Nash or any of his players walked off the court feeling any less confident that they're going to win the series. If, that, if that's what it takes. You know, to beat you one time, I just, they probably walked out and said, okay, they get theirs and, you know, that they'll be fine. The last two possessions of they the game for the swept. Nets, the last two possessions for the Nets, in a tie game in the final minute, Bruce Brown took a shot. And then down by two in the final, like, 10 seconds, Bruce Brown took a shot. What? That's who you want the ball. Like, the, <laughs> what? That's the guy you want the ball in his hands. Is that being like 2 2 and setting up Patrick Brown for the game winner? I guess. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Like, yeah, who's like, named Brown? We can get him a shot. No, you go to three on three overtime, and it's Mark Stone. You say, Patch, ready? Get off the ice. <laughs> get up. We got Patrick. Patrick Brown. <laughs> we got is another going guy coming on the ice. Like, what? What are they? What are we doing with Bruce Brown taking shots late in the game? Like, you have Kevin Durant. Was and that Kyrie a? Irving. I mean, you watched it. Was that a uh, deference by someone like Durant that they gave the ball up, well, or was it actually drawn up for? Him? One of the possessions was a mess, and they were kind of so lucky just got to it. not turn yeah. it over. But he still. He still got it with like nine seconds on the shot clock. He could have given it up and said, "This is my time, baby." And then the second one was—I don't even know how he ended up with the ball, but they were—he was just like, "We got to go fast," and he just like, "I got to shoot." And I—I mean, he both situations he could have said, "All right, where's the best player on our team, or the second best player on our team, or even the third best player on our team?" No, no, guys, this is me. So I don't know what else happened. Bruce Brown. Um, one other thing on the Bucks side of this. Giannis shot eight threes in this game, Oof. and he only made one of them. And he has now taken 32 three-pointers through, what have they played, seven playoff games, and he's made four of them. 437? 32. 432. That's good for him. Wow. <laughs> Why is he shooting so many threes? What is he during the regular season? I mean, better than that, but not good. Yeah, no, not not good. Better than what? What? What is that? Like twelve percent? Yes, twelve percent. He's better than twelve percent, but he's not good. Are they? I mean, again, the first two games, especially the second one, were such blowouts. I don't even know if you look at any of those numbers. But in a close game, if he's taking that many threes, then that's an issue. It's one thing if you're getting beat by fifty, then it's like take he what you took want. one like in semi transition, just off the dribble, pulled up <laughs> with two minutes left in the game. <laughs> Okay, now that's a problem in a close game. If you're down 50, go ahead and shoot what you want because you've just been destroyed. Like, there's a couple of times a game where they're they're not guarding with the three-point line. Like, it's just whatever it is. Not when you're 4 of 32. Blake Griffin is just, like, hanging out at the free throw line. Like, yeah, do whatever. There's a couple of times a game, okay, Giannis, you want to take a three because you're wide open. And, hey, if you make a couple, 
maybe they start guarding you out there. I still wouldn't, but maybe they start guarding you out there a little bit. But to take eight in a game when you only made one and to do it with two minutes left yeah. off the dribble, pulling up in transit, like what in the hell is going on there? That's that's the thing that's going to probably, it's probably going to end up being the re- one of the biggest reasons why they lose is Giannis's shot selection. Like the first game of the series, Giannis was like, hey, I'll take some mid-range jumpers against Blake Griffin. It's like, no, go dunk on the guy. Like you're that's the whole that's the whole way the Bucs are good, is because Giannis can go dunk on somebody at any moment. And for some reason he was like, Yeah, hey, I'll shoot some mid-range jumpers. And now it's like, yeah, I'll take eight threes. We'll be good. Well, they'll mostly lose because they're gonna give up one forty, like you said, the next that's three it. games. That, that there's no way the Man, the Nets in the 80s, you have no chance again. Especially, like, when they go back home, you have no they chance. They had, what, 11 points in the first quarter? Yeah, that's never happened again in the series. In never. a quarter? What? That is unbelievable. Durant usually bad. has more than that in a, yeah. in a quarter. Never mind the, the entire team. That is unbelievably bad, that, that offensive quarter for the Nets. Clippers went down 2-0 at home last time, 1-2 in Dallas. This time they're 2-0, but going back home. You think that matters at all? It's still not a series, Ed. No, it's not a series yet. Not a series. <laughs> Just defend home court, come back, and win win at home. The Cl- it's funny because the Clippers against Dallas was a series right away because <laughs> they like lost the first game at home. Like, oh my god, it's a series. That was, and the- then it was a and then it was a huge series. Yes. The second game when they went down two zero, I was like, all right, this might be the greatest series ever. Yeah, nobody could win at home until yeah. Game Seven. That was the the most series any series has ever been. They came close in <laughs> for the first game. It seems like last night they were trailing. They made a run. I guess they can win in Utah, but I don't know. There's they're. Uh, Here's the question for you. Are we sure Kawhi Leonard's the best player in the series? Playoff well, he team. hasn't been for the first two games. Right. Uh, is he the best player overall? If, like, you're, you kind of got those, you know, Mitchell and him there, and you're like, all right, you're starting a team right now, NBA team today. Who are you taking? I take Kawhi. You are. But, I mean, no, in this series, he hasn't been the best player. And someone better slow that guy down. And that's that's a massive problem for the Clippers because the Jazz – have a good team like they're mm-hmm. like outside of their top player donovan mitchell they have a good, no, good. two through six seven yeah. players yeah they're better than the clippers two through six right. or seven which means Kawhi and george have to be that much better right and i don't think we should expect paul george <laughs> yeah. to be that much no. better but Kawhi leonard's gonna have to be the best players yeah. in this series and so far it's it's donovan no, mitchell it's, donovan it's mitchell. not Kawhi leonard to save your life Giannis has to make free throws or paul george has to play well in a playoff game can, what are you choosing? Can Giannis take 12 seconds at the free throw line? Or are we enforcing nope, the 10 we're enforcing. Oh. oh, then I take Paul George. Yeah, because he well, might well, it also, the shot It's off. also defined by what's, what does Paul George mean when you say he has to have a good game, though. Like you say you have to have 40 or 20. Like, that's he has a to hit big. the rim on every single well, one of his shots. He's, he's scored. He's I might still, be going back to the free throws. <laughs> he, Paul George still gets his points. It's just, almost 30, I think. Yeah, but it's just he's, you know, four of 17. Yeah, he's totally inefficient. He's, yeah, he's like totally six inefficient. of 19 yes. in that game. He yeah. gets free throws out of it, but yeah, he doesn't. If he would shoot well, the Clippers, we'd be talking about him up 2-0 in this series. Hit but. the rim every time. He's going to airball a, th- a three or not. I might have to. If my life depends on it. I might have to go Giannis. Well, he normally hits the rim, but he hit the backboard in that one last he hits, year. Yeah, he hits the side of the yeah. backboard. But you're saying he has to once. hit the rim on every shot? Yeah. I might go Giannis free throws to save my life. How many shots is Paul George? Gonna yeah, exactly. The, the Paul, <laughs> see the Paul George part of that entire uh, formula there. You have to know a lot more. Like, does he just get to take two minutes. shots and hit the rim each time? Then I'm gonna go with Paul George. But if he's taking like 30 shots, I don't know. Can I bench him in the last five minutes? <laughs> yeah, because I'm all in on Paul George if I can get him the hell out of there in the fourth quarter. All right, coming up next, Austin Gale joins the show. 
Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. At the end of the day, I believe in me. I know what I have in the tank. And we're talking about ages, 32. I'm young. Like, in football, you can say it's old, but you either do it or you don't. This game don't change for me. I'm still fast and still strong. And to, you know, the games last year, I just, you know, had an issue where I didn't take enough time to heal up properly. But, you know, that was just my decision on going out there and just playing. There's no excuses, things like that. But I'll be ready to go. So for those who questioning my health and things like that, just stay tuned. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Austin Gale. So, Austin, Julio Jones is the blank best receiver in the NFL. I'd say fifth best. Right now, according to PFS wide receiver rankings, we have him there right at number five. I think after Julio Jones is where you start to get into some of the young guns, A.J. Brown, Justin Jefferson entering the conversation. I think that's where I'm at with Julio Jones right now. And I think that, that, you know, that quote that you have from Julio Jones there is something that people forget. Is just the absolute professional that Julio Jones is. I had an opportunity to interview Calvin Ridley and the Atlanta Falcons wide receivers coach, I think, in early May. And they talk so much about how much this kid shows up every single day. And you're already kind of seeing it in these Tennessee Titans, like, OTA videos. He is the quickest feet on that team. He is the hardest worker on that team. I do think that it gets underrated with some of these guys how much Julio Jones works. Like he, a lot of God-given talent. He's one of the rare athletes the game has ever seen. But the dude has earned every single snap. And I think he, him healthy across the 17-game schedule in 2021 will be up there with the top five, top three receivers in the NFL. Were you surprised at the take back? Was this the market you thought it would be? I, I honestly, not, not super surprised. I, I do think that you know, getting a, getting a first-rounder for Julio Jones with his current contract would be absurd. It's not the talent, it's the contract. Bringing on that much money at this late in the process, I do think that Julio Jones, for a second-round pick, and taking 100% of that contract from Atlanta is well worth it. I do think that a lot of conversation has been around you know, these second-round pick trades you know, for DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, I think Mohamed Sanu. But really, your, your contract is so much of a part of the conversation. I think a lot of I'm not going to say low-level fans. That's condescending as hell. But still, a lot of average <laughs> fans, I think, look at it as like, second-rounder for Julio Jones? He's the best receiver in the NFL or top five. But still, $15 million, to $15 million a year for a guy that, yes, is 32 years old and is so rare of an athlete, so strong, different, that he's going to have hamstring injuries for a while. Like, he has had that plague because he's different. It's the same reason that Nick Bo- the Bosa brothers struggle with hamstring injuries. They are legitimately built different from an athlete perspective. Obviously, the Titans' biggest problems last year were defensively, but with Julio Jones there, like, what are your expectations for them? What's the ceiling for the Titans now? It's interesting because I think the bigger part of the conversation is what does this OC get? Todd Downing, the last time we saw him in an offensive coordinator role, ran one of the worst offenses we've ever seen. The <laughs> Oakland Raiders, the Oakland Raiders fired Bill Musgrave to promote Todd Downing from quarterbacks coach to offensive coordinator, and he ran the lowest rate of play action in the first six weeks the game has ever seen. I'm going to say that again. He ran the lowest rate of play action <laughs> in the first six weeks the game has ever seen. He ran nine total play action dropbacks in the first eight weeks. No one's seen that before. The good dude was in over his head. How much is he up now? We'll see. I think Todd Downing has a lot of weight on his shoulders because there's too many weapons for this offense to fail. Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Ryan Tannehill has been the highest-graded quarterback, according to PFF charting, since he got the start there in Tennessee. There was very few reasons for this offense to fail. Todd Downing has to step up. Last year they ran at the lowest, highest rate on early downs. 
They ran, I think, 56% of the time on early downs, which the highest rate in the NFL when other teams, other more efficient teams are throwing the ball, but still ranks first in EPA per play on those early downs because of the monster that is Derrick Henry. I think Todd Downing, a lot of weight on his shoulders to step up. Uh, Deshaun Watson wants to be in Denver along with everyone else except Brady, it seems. Uh, <laughs> if you want to be a quarterback, I guess you want to go there. Is do you think he's moved? What would happen? You know, where would you know put him in Denver if you can? Uh, in the situation, uh, and and the Texans obviously feel really good about themselves because they've called off mandatory minicamp. I mean, there, which is one of the more absurd things I've ever seen. There has not been a team that has signed more new players in an offseason than the Houston Texans. They are literally the last team to want to cancel a mandatory minicamp. It makes no sense to me. But still, I will say, Deshaun Watson wanted to go to Denver. It's hard to speculate. You know, we, the court date's not set until 2022. You have to expect if, given the opportunity, the NFL would suspend him for a bulk majority of the season, if not the entire season. I think any Deshaun Watson conversation – starts in 2022 and it might not even start in 2022 it might be more of a 2023 or never again type of conversation with Deshaun Watson I I don't like to speak to it a ton a lot of it is speculation a lot of it is he said she said that kind of stuff I do think that Deshaun Watson the conversation starts and finishes with you know where he's at with the current allegations I this genuine question if he's not there this season what quarterbacks do the Texans have on the roster right now so, obviously, they invest their first pick of the third round, I believe, in Davis Mills, the court, former five-star out of Stanford who has probably the weakest arm since Gardner Minshew. He's going to come in and operate a process. But then also they have Terod Taylor. I think Terod oh, Taylor would right. be the starter right. week one. I think okay. Terod Taylor would be the starter. Davis Mills, I have no idea why they picked him where they did. They're obviously going to be in a position to take Spencer Rattler or Sam Howell in 2022. I- I'm interested to see how they operate here. I don't think it's going to be a team, though, that is all that aggressive or all that competitive. I think Vegas has their win totals at 2.5 right now. Wow. <laughs> Weaker arm than Minshew. Hey. Uh, our producer's not happy. He's the biggest Minshew fan around. Um, so we know it's really important because it appears to be seven on seven with no pads on. But Jordan Love seems to be ripping it up in uh, Green Bay with the stats coming out of that thing. Seven of eight for 57 with two TDs. Do you ever make anything of that? Or is it just like Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback. But we want to make this guy feel good. that He's doing well in, uh, in voluntary minicamp. I almost threw up hearing stats from an OCA minicamp. That might be the worst thing I've ever heard. I don't even think they have defense on that team. They can't tackle players. What do you mean two touchdowns? They let him walk in the end zone every time. But I will say this. That was obviously overly negative. The fact that he's processing the offense and not a backup, literally an inactive, a healthy scratch behind Tim Boyle is a sight for sore eyes. Because last year he was not even on the football team, not even on the active roster. He was an inactive, healthy scratch all year long to be the third-string quarterback behind Tim Boyle. The fact that he's getting starting level reps and working with the receivers he has is, a, as again, a breath of fresh air and a step in the right direction. We're a year away from him being actually picked in the first round, but when he was picked, like, what was your expectation for him going into the draft a year ago? I, uh, we, we felt he was a project. We viewed him very similar to, you know, um, trying to think of another, you know, Kyle Trask in some ways. I think some guys that, you know, you want to work around, you want to develop for a year, and they did that. The problem is developing him for a year as a healthy scratch is a lot different than developing him for a year as a backup and not Tim Boyle there. So I do think that Jordan Love, expectations have to be high. Former first-round pick with a ton of tools, but still never dominated Mountain West competition. You look back at his Utah State last season, did not show up in that LSU game, did not show up against even conference scheduling, you know, some people make the Josh Allen comparison, the guy that came out of the Mountain West. But Josh Allen literally dominated the Mountain West. The guy was rare. The guy had Brett Favre vibes when he was playing there in Laramie, Wyoming. So I do think that the comparisons are unjust. I think Josh Jordan Love's still a couple years away. 
Listen, Austin, you obviously didn't catch uh, Jordan Love against UNLV a couple years ago when he went 46 <laughs> for 47 for 900 yards and six touchdowns. Uh, that was a good game by him. I, I didn't see every one of his games, but the UNLV games he seemed to do quite well in. Uh, do you ever make anything, because I don't, in terms of, especially if they're not being fined here in Vegas, Josh Jacobs and Ike Ngakwe did not go to any of the OTAs. Now, they could have been in the facility, but, you know, especially Ngakwe, he's new. A lot of it's expected of him. Do you ever make anything of those guys not showing up to OTAs until they're actually uh, being fined for not showing? I, I do think that, you know, the non-mandatory training camp, OTAs, minicamp, all that type of stuff, I never make too much of it. I do think you always like to see, you always like to see veterans like Josh Jacobs, Janique Ngakwe showing up to the things. However, a lot of that speculation, we don't know why Josh Jacobs not showing up to camp. We don't know why Janique Ngakwe could be, you know, whatever it may be. I think a lot of, you know, fans and media want to speculate, man, Josh Jacobs doesn't want it. You know, Janique Ngakwe is <laughs> not fully committed. It's like, hey, calm down. Wait till this thing's actually mad. Uh, Eric Eager at Pro Football Focus, he ranked John Gruden as one of the top five play callers in the NFL. I'm curious your thoughts. How much better would the Raiders be if that was John Gruden's only responsibility and somebody else was in charge of maybe challenges or when to kick field goals or, you know, roster and talent evaluation? No, I've been ahead of this for a while. I think they would be significantly better. I think John Gruden is one of the better offensive play callers in the game. The problem has been he's been trying to be Bill Belichick his entire career, be the GM. Be the cap guy. Be the guy who drafts everyone. Be the guy who you know, makes decisions as an offensive play caller and be the head coach. And when you start to spin that many plates, regardless of who you are, you know, a lot of good coaches in the NFL delegate. You know, a lot of good leaders delegate. And I think John Gruden has failed to do that, whether it's a lack of trust or whatever it may be. It's why he's always so quick to move on from quarterbacks. He wants his guy every single time. I do think that John Gruden, in a position to just call plays, I think would be in a better position now than as a head coach. Well, would you like I mean, uh, you know, the playbook's one thing, and then people I saw yesterday went to another level about situational fourth down. They've not been great at fourth down. Two years ago, they didn't finish as much in the red zone. So do you like him all the way across the board, or do you think he could be better at certain facets of when and what he calls? No, I do think that he's much better in the first 15. I think his opening game script has always been good, both in the first quarter and the third quarter coming out of half. I do think where he needs to get better is leveraging data, leveraging analytics to you know, make, make better decisions on fourth down. Make better decisions in the red zone. Go for it when it makes sense. I think a lot of coaches need to do that, though. That's not just John Gruden. That's probably half the league. Are you surprised at all that we're here in June and there's been so much conversation about NFL players not getting vaccinated? I'm not surprised at all. I mean, this is, this is clickbait season, baby. What else are we talking about in June? I do <laughs> think, like, reporters asking about these types of things and vaccines is going to get a lot of media attention, a lot of clicks, those types of things. So I'm not surprised at all. Everyone's like, why is every reporter asking players if they're vaccinated? Well, because you're talking about it. I'll tell you that right now. Well, okay. From the standpoint of the player side, like we, the, the Raiders, apparently every, all their coaches are vaccinated and we've heard two or three players mention, yeah, we're getting vaccinated at least because it's a competitive advantage. Are you surprised like on the player side that more guys aren't just saying, yeah, I'll get the vaccine because we don't have to wear masks around the facility and there's less of a chance that I get, you know, taken out of games for a week at a time because I tested positive. I mean, the speculation on why and why not players or even human beings aren't getting vaccinated is tough. I mean, Sam Darnold's reading a couple articles on Facebook and making his decisions there. It's tough to see. It's honestly tough to see. So I do think that, you know, the vaccination conversation, I get that it is a personal decision, but I do like, you know, example, Bruce Arians, you know, get vaccinated. That's how we win. That's how everyone gets on this team. I do think that some of the positive reinforcement around getting vaccinated, I think is super important. I think some of the negative reinforcement that we're seeing from, you know, Twitter trolls and that type of stuff is where things get messy. Well, he is Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Austin, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Austin. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, Bruce Arians was funny. I'm the expert. Huh? <laughs> okay. It's because his quarterback's so old. you got to make sure they yeah, protect I mean, Tom Brady. Yeah, he's vaccinated. He's, he's an, is he?
I would. I mean, uh, he talks to that is, doctor who's is not that a doctor. Yeah, is that you, in the TB12 method? I would method? think he'd be. I don't know. Are there strawberries in the vaccine? Why am I? Uh, well, it's, uh, how how much water based is that vaccine? Because it's water based. He's like, give me six shots. Um, I don't know. I just I don't know why I assumed it because he has small kids and a family. I don't know why I don't know why I assumed that he got that. I I don't know either way. I don't know if we know. I don't think he said it out loud what it, what he's done. But hasn't Arian said they're eighty five percent? I think he said he wanted to get to eighty five percent. So I don't know if they're actually there That's yet. That's a good question on him. I don't know. I none of, let me ask you this real quick. Should people be asking these guys that in our business? Yes. yes. Yyeah. Okay, because, you, should, you say, hey, yes. Derek Carr, are you vaccinated? Yes. Should he have to answer that? Uh, no, he doesn't have to answer okay. it. But you, it's a legitimate question because there are benefits in place to teams and players that... If, in fact, that 85% are, yeah, are vaccinated. They get vaccinated. Yeah. And yeah. it significantly changes how likely you are to miss a game during the season. Mm-hmm. Like, the goal, Braden McNabb just missed playoff games because he tested positive. Now, we don't know if Braden McNabb is vaccinated or not, but a positive test took Braden McNabb out of a playoff mm-hmm. game. Like... You're still going to be able to test positive when the fall comes around. And depending on what the NFL's actual protocols are, being vaccinated is going to make it much less likely you miss games. So, yeah, it's extremely important because, listen, we get to the season and Derek Carr tests positive on a Monday. If, hey, well, he's vaccinated, so if he gets a negative test over the next two days, he's back on Wednesday versus, oh, he's not vaccinated, he's out for seven days. Like, that's a massive difference. So, yeah, it's a very valid question because of the way it impacts the actual team and the actual games that are played in the fall. I have no problem asking her to being asked. It was interesting. It's become like a storyline now the last week of should they ask or should they have to say, is this they a personal choice? No. They can say, I don't want Personal choice. That I don't need to answer That's that. fine. But it's a perfectly valid question because of the differences between being vaccinated and not being vaccinated and the rules in the NFL. So, I when think. when Austin said Gruden should look at the analytics, I still wanted you to push the button in here. We don't want that hogwash. <laughs> <laughs> All right, coming up next, college football playoff expansion is coming. Yeah, I'd honestly say about a month ago, uh, somewhere around Cinco de Mayo, I really just was a little active, and at that time maybe did some little dance moves, and I felt like I'm ready to go. So uh, that was the time that I said in my head, uh, the injury's gone. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. Dak Prescott, uh, everything in his life is in relation to Cinco de Mayo, apparently. Uh, But the college football playoff, is likely to expand. I actually think Dak Prescott might have gotten to play in the college football playoff had it been expanded to 12 teams when he was in college. It might last till Cinco de Mayo. It might. So there's a four-man group that's made a recommendation to the college football playoff committee. Craig Thompson, Mountain West Commissioner, is on that four-man group. Is he on that group? He is. Harry Thompson? He is. It's two Power Five commissioners, the athletic director at Notre Dame and Craig Thompson. <laughs> Is it a layup for me to say, what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> Did you just set me up right there? I mean, no, I mean, he's, look, he's been the executive director of the NCAA basketball tournament committee. He's had a lot of high jobs. At least, well, he's been around for a long time. But, I mean, uh, yeah, good for him. Good, for, I guess good for the Mountain West. Huh? Yeah. So, college football playoff is likely to expand to 12 teams. And the setup is going to be the top six ranked, the highest ranked six conference champions Regardless of conference, plus the next six best at-large teams. So what that means is, for example, last year, the six best conference champions were from the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the ACC, 
And then five and six would have been Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina because mm-hmm. the highest ranked Pac-12 team was outside the top 15. Yeah. So last year, the Pac-12 would not have had a team in a 12-team playoff, right. which is hilarious. But there would have been two group of five teams in there in mm-hmm. Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina. Okay. Uh, somebody for the Athletic ran through what if this had been in place the last decade. So over the last 10 years, had this been the format, there would have been 12 group of five teams to play in the playoffs. 12 teams in 10 years? So you get one a year. You're, they're guaranteed one a year, and then... 20% of the time they would have gotten a second team in from the that's not a, that's still not I know why they're doing it's this not, but the inclusion yeah. is not like the, don't have anyone step up and say they're trying to right. include group of fives I do view it as a good thing oh, for I think it's a great thing fives. I just you, you know why they're doing yeah. it yeah but because they are guaranteed one of the 12 yeah. every year until there's a sixth power conference however that happens but they are guaranteed one of Bob the West. 12 spots every year and there is a chance they get two because yes, like last year, last year, USC sucks. But there's also a chance that another, you know, if Boise State and Cincinnati are both 12 and 0, one of them's probably going to get in at large. Right. Like right. normally, yes, yes. Undefeated and in the past, they five, wouldn't have gotten yeah. the four ever undefeated group of five is normally in right. the top. They're around that eight, nine, 10 yeah. ranking, and that's going to be good enough to get in most years. So this is good for the group of five. Um, it's not by any means like. Uh, they're guaranteed a bunch of spots, but they actually good. There's actually a chance that Boise State can go 13 and 0 and actually and get win in. a title as opposed yes. to 13 and 0. Your season ends playing the seventh best Big right. 12 team. Is there a way to make sure Notre Dame doesn't get anywhere near this thing? Well, the one thing this is because uh, Notre Dame right now, the way that 12 teams going to work is Notre Dame and BYU cannot get a buy of yeah. the four buys. So. They can't because they're not okay. affiliated with that, a con- they're not God. affiliated. That's, but I really lose think in the first round. Yes. Well, okay. I still think though, if anything, and it's going to take a lot because they have just stood behind this for the you know history of their school. If anything, and maybe they need to see a few of these twelve team brackets play out, would push Notre Dame to join the ACC. This is it. I think it's plausible. This is it because if you are oh, now, if you're God. Notre Dame and you're one of the top four conference champions, then you do get the right. buy. But if you, so I mean, I, I, they're they're in the ACC for everything except the most important sport because they have their own network. But if anything's going to push them this way, this is going to push them to join the ACC. Only they conference champions, lose. only conference champions can get a buy. So there is right. a chance that Notre Dame is number one in the country and don't, doesn't get a buy. Everybody's yeah. ranking and does not get and a buy. And that could push then them to join the ACC. Right. Cincinnati. Exactly. Because you're still Notre Dame and you still be Notre Dame. The ACC, you don't think the ACC wants Notre Dame football. My God, they'd like, you know, they'd do anything to get them. <laughs> so you could still control a lot. You'd still have leverage as Notre Dame uh, in, in a lot of aspects, TV-wise. But I also think that this could push them in because if you let, – let's say your example. Let's say the first year of this 12 – they have a really good team. They they get easy on a schedule some places, and they're twelve and zero, and they don't have a bye. But Alabama has one, Clemson has one in their own league. All that Notre Dame at that point is like, hey, this isn't happening again, and they'll go in. They'll go into the conference. Yeah. So them not having the bye, it's interesting because Notre Dame's athletic director is on that four man yes. group that made the recommendation. So it is fascinating that he was like okay with, hey, we can never get a bye unless they join a conference. Brad Powers brought up a great point. I thought yesterday I didn't I didn't see this in the in the uh, fine print. The quarterfinals are going to be neutral sites. He brought up a great point that that's how stupid that is. Only because if you think your team's good. You're not traveling to the quarterfinals. Yeah. Like so, you, if you're Alabama, like we're not going. Why would we go to the quarter semifinals? Like you could get some quarterfinal venues with like if you think your team's good, you're not going to pay to go to a quarterfinal if you think it's going to go on. 
The five through twelve round, though, when they're on college campuses, well, no, those are great because they're on that's campuses. That's going to be phenomenal. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Teams are going to get to host playoff yes. games. Yeah, it's oh, going to be awesome. Gonna be great. Yeah. I, I think I agree with Brad. If you put the quarterfinals in there, that'd be great. Who's too. going to that? Yeah, it'd be fun if you put them on college. Oh, campuses. college campuses. Yes.